I'll take your Bibles. First of all, if you need an outline, raise your hand real quick. Anybody need an outline? Didn't get one as you came in? Brother Keen's back there. Good job. Two places in Scripture this morning we're going to look. First of all, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and just hold your place there. And then if you will turn in the New Testament, John chapter 12, verses 27 through 33. We're going to read from 1 Samuel in the Bible all the way to John. Just kidding. I do believe in using the word of God, though, and uh, I'm thankful for it. I hope you had a good week in it. Um, My Bible reading schedule on the Bible program that I have helps keep tabs on me and make sure that I'm keeping up with the schedule. And I'm about 80% through. And if you're on a similar schedule, you should be about 80% through the Bible this year. You say, well, Pastor, you say that to make me feel bad? No, I'm just saying you need to read the Bible. And if you haven't been reading it faithfully, then you need to pick it up and determine to read it faithfully. Say, well, how do you do that? Like eating an elephant, one day at a time. You get up in the morning and you read. And if you don't read as far as you think you need to read, at least you've read something. And that's something to look forward to and something to build on. The Christian life is all about building. There's no greater foundation than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. But you've got to build on it. And every day we do something, whether it's a little bit more than before or whether it's just a little, it's still building. And that's what you've got to capture. Otherwise, the devil's going to beat you up. How many understand that? And uh, so we're going to look at two passages of Scripture, John chapter 12. I don't know about you, but I love the Gospels. And I love to see things in the Bible uh, that are similar, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And, uh, and I love when the Lord leads. And he put this message on my heart several weeks ago, and I want to preach it to you this morning. It's entitled, The Cause of the Christian. In John chapter 12 and verse 27, the Bible says that Jesus made, said these words, and then we'll read the paragraphs together. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But notice this phrase, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Notice verse 33. This he said, signifying what death he should die. I want to call your attention back up, if you will, uh, into verse 27. The last phrase in verse 27, Jesus said, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Now go back, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And you recall several weeks ago when I preached hope for the underdog, when David would go out and meet Goliath, when David comes upon the valley of Elah and he sees the armies of Israel shivering in caves and holes in the ground for fear of the warrior Goliath, the Philistine giant. And as He makes the statement after he's been berated by his own brother, after he's heard everything that that Goliath is saying. 
He makes this statement in verse 29. I'm sure you've heard it many, many times if you've been in any kind of Bible preaching church. The Bible said, and David said, what have I now done? And then notice the phrase. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Heavenly Father, I come before you again this morning and I surrender myself fresh and anew in this pulpit. And I ask for your help. I need you today, God, to just move me out of your way and then to fill me with your spirit and use me just as your mouthpiece. Lord, I offer myself to you today as your vessel so that I could prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And God, through your help and through your word, we pray today that you would help us to learn more about our Christian life, not only what it is, but why we're here. And Lord, the cause that you put before us in your life and now by your word and through your spirit. Speak to us today, I pray personally. May we have ears to hear what the spirit of God has to say to this church. And I pray in all of it that you would be glorified. Please give us understanding as your people. And then as we leave, I pray that you would give us wisdom to live out that which we have heard by faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to take a scan of the landscape of our country for a cause to get behind or for a cause to be involved in, you would very quickly find plenty, at least, that would perhaps give you interest. From political causes to social causes, they're out there. In fact, if you looked hard enough, you would even find perhaps a good cause to be involved in. From foster care to adoption, from abortion counseling to ways to support cancer research, even to tutoring children whose parents have to work late. There are plenty of not just causes per se, but we could even, you know, in our own mind say, no, that's a good cause. I can perhaps get behind that. By definition, they tell me, a cause is something that gives sufficient reason for action. And I want you to keep that in mind as I preach this message. A cause, by definition, is something that gives sufficient reason for action. In December 1773, 5,000 colonists had decided that England's tax on tea was unfair and unwarranted. England's war debts had amounted so great that the empire decided that they would tax some goods going to the colonists. And so to help pay for war reparations, they decided to tax the colonists. And they were planning to use that wage, the, 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 the taxes, to make up the lacks of funds. When the king insisted, the Sons of Liberty disguised themselves as Native Americans, rode out to the ships carrying the tea and dumped 90,000 pounds of tea into Boston's harbor. Now, that may not sound a lot to you. In fact, they say that about a million and a half uh, pounds of tea is what the colonists would drink in about a year's time. But to equate that to today's money value, it would be about a million dollars in tea. That was a lot today. That was certainly even more then. Those Sons of Liberty, if you have a couple of pictures, I'll show you. They met in this building it's called the Funial, uh, the, the Fenial House. This, this is how much they believed in the cause of liberty. Now, this is downtown Boston. Uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. This hall was built completely uh, by a gentleman who had interest in the cause. It was not publicly funded. It was only his funds, Jim. So he decided to go into his pocket and to say, I'm going to build this hall. And this hall was designed only for as a meeting house. Now, it was such a cause that the first meeting was held here, but they couldn't 
put, put, uh, fit them all in there. So we built a second meeting hall and there was about 5,000 of them that met. Well, they met, they decided. And then finally, when the king insisted and there was no, nothing else to do, they decided, you know what? We've got to do something. Watch. There was sufficient reason for action. They had a cause. The cause was liberty. Of course, after this would be the Boston Massacre and the shot heard around the world. And we know the history as, as it's told us. Now, let's just think about this statement. That was their cause. And the night Paul Revere made his ride, he was, he was locked down. He wasn't supposed to be out of the city. He had to be smuggled across the river. He had to borrow a horse. And then he rode through the countryside warning the colonists that the regulars were out. Because there was a cause. That was their cause. Let me ask you a question. What's yours? Let me ask it a different way. Do you have a cause? Now we could say, well, as a Democrat or as a Republican or as an American, I have a cause. Okay. What about as a Christian? I think, I think we've got it a little flipped over some days. We get a little flipped over that we're Americans first and then we're Christians. But that's not the way the Bible presents it. I'm a Christian first and always. And then I'm everything else, but I never lose the fact that I'm a child of God. Somebody say amen. In 1 Samuel, Samuel 17, David asks the piercing question to those around him who were doing nothing. Who saw the same individual that he did. Who heard the very same words that he had heard. They were out there to do the same thing. David wasn't even engaged in the battle. But as he stands there, they could not find. Those that were in the trenches, those that were there present before David. They could not find sufficient reason for action. And then David shows up, and in a matter of what seems to be seconds, perhaps minutes, resolves, hey, wait a minute, what's going to happen to the guy that shuts this fat mouth up? Why isn't anybody doing anything? What have I now done? By asking these questions, everybody's mad at me. Is there not a cause? Is there not sufficient reason for somebody sitting here in this camp to get up and go do something for action. As we read in John chapter 12, Jesus tells us about his cause. The reason that he came, the reason that he died, the reason that he rose again. The Bible tells us in John chapter 12, notice down in verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Verse 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, would draw all men unto me. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must be careful not to find sufficient reasons, not to find sufficient reasons for action from the world, but rather that we find our sufficient reasons for our actions from the Lord Jesus Christ and be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Nowhere in scripture does God say it's okay to take your cues from what the world says. Nowhere in scripture will you find 
that the world gives us sufficient reason to do anything that's honoring to God. Would you agree? The world never says glorify God. Never says honor life. It never says to, to do God's will. Don't, don't prove that. Live for yourself. That, that's what the world preaches. And so I, I would rather take my causes from scripture if that's okay. I would rather let God guide me like he did David. So whether or not anybody else is doing anything about the cause that I would be willing to do something for the cause of Jesus Christ. My hope this morning is to help us identify what is that cause. And then to cause the, the cause of the Christian. And then with God's help, hopefully, that you would find sufficient reason for action to be involved in it. So let's take our outlines this morning. Let's just first of all identify the cause. Let's just identify it. When you study the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, you witness his involvement with people. Meeting their need. And in many cases, meeting that physical need in order that he might meet their greater need, which was a spiritual need. In other words... Jesus Christ was sent to us from God, not to merely work miracles or, as some say, to be a good teacher and example and character. He was sent to die. He was sent to die for the sins of mankind, to pay, as we know what the Bible tells us, the wages of sin and to offer himself as a sacrifice on the behalf of sinners. Romans 5 and verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were neither good nor rich or wealthy, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What is the cause? What is Jesus saying? For this cause came I into this world. This is the hour. Why should I say, God, remove me for this? I know the reason for my actions. I know what it is. Letter A, it's the death of all sinners. That's the reason behind Jesus coming to this earth. The judgment of this earth is come. The Bible teaches us that sin came into our lives by one man, Adam. And by one that one man, sin passed to all of us. And that we are all equally sinners. We are guilty before God, according to the Bible. Because of that sin, we will all die somehow, somewhere, and in some way. The Bible says, behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, and we are all sinners, it shall die. And after that death, after the person dies, there is a judgment before God. And as it was appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The Bible doesn't, it, it, nowhere in the Bible is salvation confusing. It's not confusing as to why Jesus came. It's not confusing as to why he offered himself vicariously. It's because sin always brings death. And God doesn't want anybody to die in that sin. Amen. Jesus Christ died for that day, the judgment day. It says here in the Bible that the judgment, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. The day that you would have to stand before the white throne of righteousness... And give account for your sin. Jesus said, I don't want anybody standing there alone. I want to be their advocate. I want to be their go-between. I want to stand up and say, my blood has washed away his or her sin. And they are your child, Father, by my sacrifice. That's what he died for. 
That's the cause that Jesus came to this earth. First Corinthians six and verse nine, Paul said these words, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. And now he's going to list it. Fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is the verse I wanted to get to, verse 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Friend, Jesus died for the death of sinners. And if you were a sinner who's been saved, you should shout hallelujah because that's why he came. Jesus saw reason to, to action, sufficient reason. What was sufficient? That people would be dead and separated from God for all of eternity. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Jesus didn't die for some. He died for all. And that means you, aren't you thankful? The death of sinners. That's identifying the cause, first and foremost. But secondly, there's one that goes with that. It's the yin and the yang of the cause of Christ. What is it? Secondly, it's the honor and glory of God. The honor and glory of God. See, David gave his life for the honor of God when he said, look, you're, you're shooting off your mouth about my God. I'm going to go out and by that God, I'm going to defeat you so that everybody will bring honor to him. And that all the nations would know that there's a God in Israel. That was the whole goal. Just like David gave his life for the honor of God, Jesus Christ gave his life for the honor of God the Father. And the ultimate cause of the Christian is for the same. It causes me, when I read verses like this, to say, does my life honor God? Is that part of my cause Is there sufficient reason for me to act in a manner that honors God? I would say yes. I would say not only does scripture tell me that, but my own life tells me that I have sufficient reason to act in a manner that's honoring to God. Well, it honors God when I am in pursuit of sinners like Jesus Christ does. When my concern for my neighbor, for my co-worker, for my sister, my uncle, when my concern is their death and sin without Christ as the Savior. And when that concern gives me sufficient reason for action, which leads me to the eternal truth that Jesus saves, and I am willing to offer that truth, then our God is glorified. So do you have a Bible verse to back that up? Since you brought it up, yes. John chapter 15 and verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified. Listen, that ye bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. See, the whole passage there is talking about Jesus being the vine and we're the branches. It's not talking about bearing fruit of righteousness in the Spirit of God. That's a different fruit. What do fruit trees bear? Fruit. Lemon trees bear, good, I'm so glad you didn't say oranges. Watermelon trees, seeing if you're awake, peach trees bear peaches. Why were they designed that way by God? To bear a kind. A peach tree does not bear any other fruit. It bears a peach. You follow what I'm saying? A Christian that's attached to the vine of God as a branch 
bears another Christian. That's what's glorifying to God. You say, now wait a minute. Not everybody that I witness to gets saved. That's not our business. Salvation is not our business. Soul giving or giving of the truth to other souls, being concerned for them, that's our business. And that's when God is glorified. You understand, when I am no more like Christ than when I'm willing to give my life and get over the fact that I'm hesitant, that I'm fearful, or that I may be ignorant of some truth that I I feel I need to know. When I get over that and I just obey the Holy Spirit and tell someone about Jesus, that's when I'm like Jesus. That's what's glorifying to God. Romans 10 and 15, how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Jesus said to them in John 20, verse 21, peace be unto you. As my father has sent me, so send I, fill in the blank, you. That's all of us. Bible says in Mark 16, verse 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And we've said this for 20 years. We've talked about this. Watch. When it says preach the gospel, it doesn't mean you have to be an ordained minister. It just means that you have to proclaim it. And you don't even have to stand up with a loud voice box and proclaim it on the street. You can do it quietly. You can do it with a gospel track. You, you can you can simply give the gospel to someone who's never heard it before. And at that moment, with a concerned heart, you are honoring to God. That's the cause. Identifying the cause is the big issue. The cause of every Christian is the death of sinners and the glory of God in their pursuit. The death of sinners. Now, before we go on, let me just ask you, who in your life are you concerned about? And I'm, I'm preaching to the preacher. Who in our lives are we concerned about? Who in our lives is going to die in their sin without Christ. And is that sufficient reason for me to act? Is that sufficient reason? If that's not sufficient reason, the fact that they'll spend eternity in hell, someone you know and love, if that's not sufficient reason, is the honor and glory of God for their life enough? Because that's why Jesus died, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus died for them. And you have been put in their life. You know them. You know their name. You know where they work. You know where they live. You know if they're related to you or not. They're there and you're there in their life to bring honor and glory to God. Because that is part of the cause of every one of us. And as soon as we do not have a cause, when Christians, especially a gathering of Christians, remove themselves from the cause of, Of every Christian, that body will die. Do you hear me? Because it's not for the sake of gathering. It's not for the sake of just giving. Those are all byproducts. The cause, the reason that we're here is to be reminded that Jesus died for sinners. And I may know one. And that's sufficient enough. If it's only one, chances are you have a little more than one. But if it's only one, they're the reason that you're in church today. They're the reason. The name, the face, the occupation, where they are today. They're the reason that you're sitting in this building. Because God knew I was going to preach this message about that person. 
Now, we get to wrestle with, well, is eternity sufficient cause? Is it sufficient reason for me to act? But when you combine that with the honor and glory of God, no wonder David said, is there not a cause? What what have I done wrong by thinking there's a cause? Somebody please tell me. David, as Paul would stand in, in Galatia, I'm not your enemy. I'm simply the one that senses the cause. No one else is going to do something. I'll do it. So we not only have to identify the cause. Secondly, we got to take ownership of it. David owned it that day. He was willing to own it. Jesus was speaking to his disciples. And, and everybody that would listen or who wanted to listen. Those that had ears to hear. That is a willing ear to hear what Jesus is saying. Those are the ones that really didn't have to struggle with what Jesus was saying parabolic in his parables. It was, it was coming to them. I love, I read today in the gospels how when Jesus spoke plainly about his death, burial, and resurrection and how it touched their hearts and they didn't need any more interpretation. They're like, oh, we get it now. We get it. This is the cause. Now I understand. You see, that's when people decide, okay, now I get it. This is me. People will never be involved in a cause without a reason. Remember that. You will never be involved in any cause without reason enough, by the very definition. Normally, the reason behind you being involved in a cause is because it's personal. A run for cancer because of a friend or a relative who had cancer. A cause that is personal is something that you believe in. It's something you will invest in. As a believer, the gospel became personal the moment that God reached out to you in a message. Or in a moment with a friend. In the moment that you decided to humble yourself before a God who loves you so much. And take Christ to be your savior. You were born again. During that what we call a miracle of a moment. God entrusted you with himself. He entrusted you with a message. Of what happened to you at that moment. He gave his cause. To you. He gave the power of salvation to you through the message of Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 2, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, listen, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Can I be honest? I love, I love preaching. It's an, it's an arduous process, but I love developing messages. I really, really do. And every time, every time, without a doubt, every time, every time, it's like, it's like, you know, when Christmas morning comes, by the way, there's only eight more Sundays, just in case you were wondering. So you better start shopping now. When Christmas morning comes and you think you may know what's there waiting for you. And then something comes and you're like, oh, and you didn't expect it, but it was like, it just seems like that's exactly what you wanted the whole time, right? 
That's what it is for me when I open the scriptures and find verses that attach itself to other verses that drive home the point. Do you understand what Paul said here? As we were allowed of God and put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. He's taking ownership. But watch, not as pleasing men, but God, which tried our hearts. What is that? Paul is demonstrating that the cause of Jesus Christ, the cause of every Christian, is the death of sinners in their sin, the gospel of Christ, and the honor of God, pleasing God, not of men, who try their hearts. In order to take ownership of something, you've got to believe in it. So letter A, the question is, do you believe in the cause? Do you believe in the cause of the gospel? Let's say it a few different ways. Do you believe that hell is real? For anybody that doesn't, just read Luke 16. You'll find out very quickly, oh, it's very real. Jesus, even in his parables, would bring back the truth of the reality of hell. Friend, if heaven is real, hell is real. Jesus didn't die for some alternate state of reality. He died for reality. And that reality is that sin brings forth death. And the wages of sin is death. The counterpart to that is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Do you believe that hell is real? Do you believe the gospel's powerful enough to save? Do you believe that people without Christ will spend eternity in hell? Do you believe the gospel is enough to save their soul from hell? 2 Corinthians 4.13, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, watch, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Another Christmas present. I believe. Do I really believe? Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is, it is, what is? The gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It doesn't matter who, but, but, but the, the, the person that God put on my heart, the name that came, the face that came, where they work and how I know them, it, they're, they're, they're part, they're Muslim. Let me tell you this. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. You could say it this way, to anyone that believes. What does that cover? It covers anyone, everyone, and wherever they were born on this planet. If they're sinners, the gospel saves. Amen. That's period. So, so don't let their situation deter you from believing in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you have the faith of a mustard seed, that soul can be saved. How in the world, the man said, is this demon going to get out of my son? I brought them to your disciples and, and they couldn't do anything about it. Jesus said, it's because of your unbelief. I'm not ashamed. When you believe in something, you engage in it. If you really believed the Giants were going to go farther in the playoffs, you engaged in it. Now you were let down as I was last night when the Dodgers lost. But here's the great part. When you engage in the cause of Jesus Christ, you're never let down. Not one time. You will never regret, Scott McCrossin, looking at somebody at a table, giving them the gospel, even if they don't get saved. You will never regret obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I believed, therefore I spoke. I engaged in it, which is letter B. Engage in the cause. 
to own or take ownership of the cause is to believe in it and then engage in it. Now, let me ask you, isn't it somewhat concerning to you that of all the people in America that claim to be Christian, that claim that they believe that Jesus Christ is the only hope for mankind to be saved, that they believe that the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation. Is it not concerning to you that so many people believe in it, but they're not engaged in it? See, to believe in it is not taking ownership. Why? Because the only way I'm going to get involved in a cause is if there's sufficient reason for me to do so. And once I believe in that sufficient reason, then I'll engage in it. First Timothy 1 verse 15. Here it is again. Another Christmas present God gave me. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. How be it for this cause. I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Paul said, now I know why I'm saved. I know why God would give me mercy. How I, I love the word, how I obtained mercy. It was only because he loved me and he was gracious to me. And that's why he saved me. So I can't wait to tell somebody else because they'll believe in the same God that I, that I believe in. Go and teach all nations, Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Acts 1 and verse 8. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Now what is that? That's all ownership. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Even Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Why? Because they owned it. Well, I may be beaten for it. So beat me. Well, I may be scorned for it, so scorn me. I may be lied about, then lie about me. They did all of that and much worse to my Savior who gave me the cause. My challenge today is this. If you believe in the cause of Jesus Christ, will you consider engaging yourself in it? Engaging involves three simple things. I want you to write them down. If you're serious about engaging in the cause of Christ, I want you to write this down. Three things, prayer, care, and share. That's it. Prayer, care, and share. That's the only three things that you need to know and have in your heart in order to be involved. Will you pray and ask God to show you who to be concerned about? Then will you show them how much you really care about them? Then would you offer yourself to God to use your personality. How many know that everybody's personality is different? Everybody's, everybody, there's no two people in here that are exactly the same. None. Zero. We, we may have similar interests, but your personality is not the same. It, it's like your fingerprint inside of your brain and heart. God made you, you. And God made me, me. And that's the way it is. And we seem to think sometimes, well, you know, if I could just get the pastor in front of, whoever he'll win him to christ you know 
because he has that winsome personality. No, not really. But because he just has a, he just has a way with, you know, those words. Yeah. Did you know you could have a way with the gospel too? God wants to use your personality. Uh, he did it in the Bible. Consider Peter. I, I said today, man, I'm here five minutes and I have my foot in my mouth just like Peter. I read it to him today. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He said a whole bunch of stuff because he knew not what to say. So he just said stuff. And it was the wrong things, right? Well, what about Paul? Totally different. Totally different from Barnabas. Totally different from Apollos. Totally different from James and John. God, we would that you would give us the power like you did Elijah to call down fire and kill these people because they don't want you. Jesus looked at him like, you don't have any idea what's going on in your heart right now. You have no idea what spirit you are. And, and, and yet, what did he do? He used, listen, he used all of those people to do what? The whole world upside down through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they weren't going, well, I wish I had that personality. Well, Peter's got a big mouth and he should shut up. They got over that after Jesus died. Remember, they were arguing who should be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus took a little child and put him up in his arms and said, well, to be honest, if you're not like this and you're not going to, you're not going to receive it like this. If you're not going to be a servant, then you're not going to be great at all. They got over themselves. They got over the cause of self and got interested and engaged in the cause of salvation of souls. What happened? 5,000? 15,000? 25,000? We'll never know how many people are going to be in heaven just because of the first maybe year of the gospel. All because they were engaged. Our witness of the truth of the gospel of Christ is not just a good cause, it's the greatest cause. Why? Because it's an eternal cause. And I, I want to say this, and then I'm done. Because of that, you can expect resistance to the cause. You can expect resistance. You remember when we already talked about it, David pulled up and said, is there not a cause? He said that because his oldest brother, like oldest brothers always do, was causing trouble for the youngest. So I know why you're here. I've known you all your life, you little punk. Get back to that sheep. You smell like sheep dung. Just get, you don't even belong here. I know why you're here. It's just to, just to try to show off. Get out of here. He said, wait a minute. Have I done something wrong by bringing to light something that you're not willing to do? Now think about this. What if David doesn't what if he takes his brother's advice and go, oh yeah, I can't do anything like that? What if David says, my God is not worth it? My God's not greater than this fat mouth Philistine. My God is not big enough to use me to change the hearts of the people around me. It's all different, isn't it? And it's going to be all different unless we decide to be engaged. The resistance. You know, it's kind of been like that from the beginning. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Bible begins with the persecution of the righteous by the unrighteous. Cain slew Abel. The fourth chapter of Genesis. After everything is good and everything's perfect. The righteous are persecuted by the unrighteous. Why? Listen. 
Because it's normal for this world to be at enmity with God. It's normal. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can, can, indeed can be. In fact, the resistance, as we know from David's story, can even come from your own family. Jesus said, a man's foe shall be of they of his own household. doesn't matter where the resistance comes. Why does the resistance come? Because you've decided to prayer, care, and share. And the devil is against the cause of the Christian. To live for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ as both Savior and Lord is the cause of every Christian. And the world's response to that will not be pleasant. The question is, will it be successful? Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4 and I'm done. Not many people that I'm aware of would argue the statement that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was probably or at least is considered to be the most successful Christian who ever lived. Certainly one of the most used Christians we could say in the Bible would probably be a better way to say it. Because we don't know the hearts. All we know is what he did. How, how many understand, how many know your Bible enough to know that because Paul was engaged in the cause of Christ that he suffered? How many would say, I know that. I know that part of the Bible. Okay. How many would know it enough to say, but I know it didn't stop him? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I was going to boil it down to a few verses, and, and the Lord just kept backing me up. It was like, beep, beep, beep. You need to just go back up farther. So look at verse 5. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. You think he nailed the cause there? Yeah. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Watch this very carefully. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Because of that, we are troubled on every side, but we're not distressed. We're perplexed at times, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but we're not destroyed. Always, that's a, line, a word to underline, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death Worketh in us, but because of that, life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Watch verse 16. For which, what's the next word? For which cause? He just said the glory of God. He's already talked about the gospel. For which cause we faint not, but through though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Paul is speaking to his commitment to the cause of Christ as a Christian, and yet 
in spite of persecution, how was he able to maintain the cause? Perhaps the cause of Christ, the cause of souls to be saved, doesn't cross our minds too often. I think every Christian struggles from time to time in that area, to be honest. We don't think about it like we ought to. We don't think about the glory of God. We don't think about people dying without Christ. But I do believe we need to address why. And I think Paul hits it here. And I want to just summarize it this way. Look, if, I'm belie- if, I, if I can identify the cause of Christ, then I think we've done that. And if I say I can believe in it, but I'm not engaged in it, I think there's a substantial reason why right here in the passages of Scripture. And I think it would be wise as believers who want to build on that foundation to figure out the why. People go to Randy at Mercedes and they go, this is broken, I want you to fix it. And they describe what's going on. Well, they hook up the car to figure out why it's not working, right? If he wants to fix the car to work like the manufacturer designed it to work, he has to know why. If he addresses the why, he can fix the what. So let's address it. I think Paul asks us the question, have you been neglecting the inward man in favor of the outward? Though the outward man perisheth, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. If we neglect our inward man, that is the new nature of Christ in us, we're going to lose sight of the important cause of Christ. If we neglect that inward man, are you neglecting him? Because the Spirit of God feeds on the bread of life. It feeds on the close communion. Here's another thought. Has the cross of Jesus Christ lost its significance in your life? He bemoans the fact that Jesus died, the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life, he mentions it twice, the dying of the Lord Jesus, the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because Paul was always pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's an old hymn. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain free to all. A healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Next week we'll take the Lord's table. Why? Because the cross is where we met Jesus. The cross is where he paid for my sin. That was his cause. The death of sinners. Me. And if that loses its significance, I'm not going to worry about anybody else's sin. There's a third thing. Has the physical side of life taken precedence over the eternal part of life? Has that become everything to me? Or is it just dominating my life? Look, I've already confessed, this is a struggle for every, every person who's a born-again child of God, is, is saying, Lord, I know I have responsibilities, I've got to go to work. I've got to pay bills. We've got to get all these things done. But in the midst of that, God's just saying, yes, I know you have responsibilities. But don't lose who you are in your responsibilities. Remember, yes, you have responsibilities. But the greatest responsibility is what you do with the cause of Jesus Christ in the midst of what you call your life. That is being engaged 
in the cause of the Christian in two weeks, we'll host a missions conference. Or we'll hear from a young couple who's starting a church in San Francisco. Try to do that. Try to do it without any help. Try to do it without God. Can't be very easy. Then we're going to hear from a family who started a church in Mexico. And who's been there being used by God for years and seeing God work amazingly. That can't be easy. On Saturday of that weekend, we're all going to have the opportunity to go out into our community. And put, as Randy said this morning, kind of push a reset button on the fact that, yes, COVID has taken its toll. People have gotten out of the habit. People are listening more to fear mongers than they are any message of hope. But we want the community to know that we are still here. And that this place is still a place where they can find hope. And I want to reintroduce our church to this community and get back to what we should have been doing all along. And that is sharing Christ with whoever will listen. Well, they may not all listen, but I believe if we're faithful to go, that God will be faithful in the return. Because anyone that goes out bearing precious seed shall come again, bringing his sheaves with him. Do you believe in the cause of the Christian? Is there someone that you know? I'll challenge, I'm going to challenge you this way. Is there someone that you know who is completely anti-God or in some religion that is so anti-Jesus Christ that in your own mind, there's no way that person's going to ever get saved? No way. I would challenge you to start praying for that person. Show him or her ways that you care about that person. And then ask God to give you the opportunity to share the gospel and just see if God would do what you believe he can do. Yesterday I was talking to my son Austin as they live in Reno and they moved there two, three years ago. Jenna, I think. He, one of his coworkers was a Mormon, raised in Utah, very Mormon, very, very Mormon. And they would get in these discussions while they were in the truck back and forth, you know, Mormon religion, Bible Christianity, Mormon religion, Bible Christianity. And it came out that he wasn't really a practicing Mormon. And my son at times hesitated in giving him the gospel and then finally gave him the gospel. And he just kind of rebuffed it or whatever. And they went on, still good coworkers, still good friends. And it kept coming up over and over again. And he'd ask questions and Austin would answer him from the Bible. And he'd ask questions or make statements he'd answer from the Bible. And he would just, he, he just kept loving him. He just kept praying for him. A couple weeks ago, he moved. He went back to Utah. A couple weeks ago, Austin said, Dad, the, the Lord kept bringing up his name on my heart. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll call him. But I don't know why I'm calling him. I mean, he's in Utah now. Who knows what he's involved in? And, he, and, and then he didn't. And then about another week later, the Lord brought up his name again and said, look, I want you to contact him. He said, okay, Lord, I will. And he did it. Finally, this last week, he got around to it. And he called him. Guess what? He said, it's really interesting that you called me. I want you to know that I now attend such and such a church and I got saved. It didn't happen by Austin. It happened by Christ. What did Austin do? Well, nothing if you look at it on the outside, but if you look at it the way God sees it, 
He planted the seed. Someone else watered. And who got the glory? God Almighty got the glory. Why? Because someone prayed and someone cared and someone shared. And it didn't yield fruit right then, but it did for eternity later. That's the cause of every Christian. Do you believe that God can save that person that you think just cannot be reached? Arturo is sitting right here. Arturo, raise your hand. Arturo came to us five, six months ago. Something like that. Agnostic. He came in because his aunt and his cousin were here. And he came in, and to be honest, the first time he came in, he was a little overwhelmed it was Easter. Who wouldn't get overwhelmed at Easter? Right? And he didn't know what to do. Came into my office as a skeptic months later. Yeah, I guess what you'd call it. I'm an agnostic. I really just don't believe in God. Really? Okay. Started asking him some questions. Had a lot to think about. And was really kind of overwhelmed with all. I mean, we spent two hours, I think, in the first meeting, maybe a little longer. The next week he came back, heard another message the next week we met, and he got saved in my office. How is that possible? Well, it's impossible if you're looking at Kyle Haynes. But it is completely possible if you're engaged in the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to save everyone who believes. Father, we sure love you, and we thank you for saving us. We thank you for giving us a cause to live for. We don't, we don't have to look any farther than we have into Scripture today. And God, it is certainly humbling and very convicting to me to think about how many people I have failed to give the gospel to. And Lord, I I can never get those appointments back. But God, several weeks ago, when we celebrated our anniversary to hear the people that you have allowed in this church to come to Christ is very, very humbling. And God, we don't want to celebrate an effort or even a man, but we do want to celebrate that the gospel works. We want to celebrate the fact that I believe that your spirit has spoken to us today and been very clear. We want to thank you that the truth always pierces to the dividing asunder and separates our thoughts and intents from our actions. For that, we are also grateful. Lord, today you've given us much more to think about. God, I pray that you've given even some of us in here something to be engaged in. Lord, I wonder how many people, how many people could come to Christ in the next two months of this year because someone from this church cared enough to pray for their soul. Because we cared enough to show them how much we love them right where they are. And then, Lord, asking you for the opportunity to share the truth with them and to see what you would do. God, help us to be engaged in the cause. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder this morning, as the piano plays, with nobody looking around, I wonder this morning, we say, Pastor, I believe at least At the very beginning, I believe in the cause of the Christian. I believe it. I believe that Jesus died for sinners and for the glory of God. How many would say, Pastor, I believe that this morning? I believe it. Just raise your hand real quick. I believe it. I believe in the cause. Okay, you put it down. How many would say by the uplifted hand, Pastor, 
God spoke into my heart about someone that I know that needs Jesus Christ. Specifically, he put their face, their name in my mind. How many would say, Pastor, that's me. God spoke to my heart today about someone that needs to be saved. Just raise your hand up real quick. You can put your hands down. Nobody raising their hand. Would you be willing to ask God to use you by the power of the Spirit of God to pray for and to care for those individuals and pray that God would let you see the power of the gospel save their soul. Would you do that today? Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm the one that actually needs to be saved. I, I need the gospel of Christ to save me. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even feel like I'm worthy of salvation. I, I feel like I've failed. I, I, I feel like I need to do something. Friend, Jesus did it all for you because he knew you couldn't do enough. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm the one that needs to be saved. I do not know for sure. If I died, I'd be in heaven. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand real quick? I'd love to show you from the Bible how you could be saved. Anybody like that? Would you stand together with me as I pray? How many would say, with nobody looking around, let's stand together. How many would say, Pastor, pray for me as I endeavor, as I endeavor to be engaged in the cause of Christ for my friend's sake. Would you pray for me? If that's you, just slip up your hand real quick. Anybody like that? Let's pray this morning again. The altar is open. I'm going to ask you to come as God leads. Heavenly Father, I pray now for every hand that was raised. God, they represent people. And there's a lot in this room. God, they represent people who are dying without Christ and need you. Would you please help us to be faithfully engaged in praying for their soul? Help us to be faithfully engaged in caring for their soul and their life. And then God, at your appointed time, would you burden our heart? to share our testimony of salvation and the way to be saved so that their lives can be changed forever in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you need to come to this altar and just commit to God, maybe you want to come as a couple, maybe it's another couple, maybe it's your friend, and you just want to lay them right here before the Lord and say, God, here it is. Here's my cousin. Here's my aunt. Here's my sister. Here's my spouse. Here's my family member. Would you come this morning and just find a place and commit their name to God and just ask them to ask God to save their soul? Would you do that? As people come, would you come? If God's burdened you, would you just lay that burden down and say, Lord, I'm, I'm yielding myself to you. It doesn't matter their situation. It doesn't matter. Well, well they're Mormon. There are plenty of Mormons that need to be saved that can and will be saved if someone would just share them the truth. But, but, but they're, they're part of the nation of Islam in America. They can be saved. And they will be saved. But not without somebody caring for them. Is it a co-worker? Man, pray for them right now. Pray for their soul right now. God's done bigger things. But he wants to use you for something even greater.